Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 556. I'm going to be performing on the Oddball Comedy and Curiosity Festival, which uh, starts this weekend. I hope it's going to Tampa. It's going to Tampa Yeah, it's going to Tampa. You're not going to be in Tampa, though. You never know. No, How super awkward would that be if you just if I just Tampa? walk up in Tampa? Like, there's no way you don't assume I'm murdering you at that point. <laughs> Kyle, what are you, my last words are, <laughs> Kyle? <laughs> what are oh, you? Ugh. Matt would owe Jonah so much money. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, but our first week, our first day is in Tampa on the 8th and then the 9th, Charlotte, North Carolina, and then Atlanta on the 10th. And uh, if you go to oddballfest.com. Uh, the lineup's insane, and um, I'm I'm excited to be a part of it. And we're, I'm doing like 15 of 20 cities, so through the next couple months, Madness. it's gonna be pretty crazy. I'm doing a Tonight Show on the 11th. What I know, what I know, never done the Tonight Show before. I'm very excited about it. Are they gonna wave you over? Uh, I'm not doing stand up on it. I'm just I'm just I'm just oh. doing panel. Sorry, in my mind, Drew Carey is the only person who's done the Tonight Show. Yeah, no, a lot of other people have done it, and, and there have been a lot of other hosts since Johnny Carson to check too. It out. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun, like a lot. I mean, you're probably watching at midnight. That's probably why yeah. you didn't see it. <laughs> Alicia Witt, who um, was a fantastic guest. I, I, I don't know her that well, but I've been acquaintance with her and hung out with her, and uh, she was super cool. And she's uh, she's a not just a great actress, but also and a fantastic musician. She is uh, performing at the Hotel Cafe in Los Angeles on August 10th. She's also on Justified uh, on FX. And she's in a new play called Reasons to be Pretty, which is running July 29th through August 31st at the Geffen Playhouse. Ooh, so um, find please. Alicia Witt on the internet. I mean, this, I mean, or right now, actually, would be the quickest way to find her. Just don't do anything and keep listening to the Nerds Podcast number 556. Uh, um, unless they're breaking out that audiobook and getting the setup before. I said to wait. All right, for fine. That, but uh, I want it now. I'll see you in Tampa. All right. Alicia Witt. <laughs> now entering Nerdist.com. I brought this for you. I don't know if you like them. Uh, they sent us a bunch. Oh, thank you. But, uh, I, but you've been to Tennessee a million times, so you've seen the Goo Goo Cluster. I, I haven't, actually. You haven't? But I It's a Tennessee fave. I don't eat milk. Oh, well, so then don't. So that's probably why I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's dumb. Is goo made with milk? I hate it. What? Is that what goo is made out of? I think there's some, yeah, I think there's some milky goo in there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, that sounds bad. 
But it. But did you know Oreos are vegan? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. What's, that's What's, why you see a lot of fat vegans. <laughs> yeah. Oreos. yeah. It's very possible to be a, a really unhealthy vegan. Well, yeah. I mean, the, essentially, you can always find a way to abuse your body, no matter how, mm-hmm. no matter what type of choice you're making yeah. uh, dietarily. So it's it, that's it, right. It's good to know that you can still <laughs> eat a pile of double stuff Oreos. Yeah, you can go to you can go to Taco Bell. You can uh, make vegan burritos there. <clears throat> Subway. You can how get, can you go to Taco Bell and make vegan burritos? Because you can get uh, their beans don't have any meat uh, right? products in it, so you can just get. Like, but if you're really getting granular sub about it, avocado, uh, like oh. guacamole for the cheese. And you're positive they're um, using completely different. They're not like scooping meat and then scooping. Well, no, they have different squirting devices for all the food that comes out. <laughs> Listen, any food that can be squirted onto yeah, yeah. some other Stuff. type of food is. I'm, yeah, I'm no, it's like when I was uh, when I was a kid, I had a lot of uh, vegan friends, and like that was like one of the places we'd go. That and Subway were the places that they could go eat too. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been in the uh, the vegan clan? Almost five years. How is it? It's fantastic. That's... I I love it. I think it's really easy to to find food anywhere. Well, you look goddamn healthy. Thank you. So that's that. Obviously, there's <laughs> you know whenever I don't know. Sometimes I've seen people who are vegans that look amazing, like at any age. And other time I've seen other people. Where I'm like, I'm not sure if you're doing it right because yeah. you look a little unhealthy. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, what is the healthy guide to veganism? Um, you need to make sure you get things like beans and nuts and healthy fats in your diet. Mm-hmm. And that does not mean Oreos. <laughs> that means <laughs> that means coconut oil, avocados, um, grapeseed oil is good. Um, yeah, nuts have a lot of healthy fats in them. Mm-hmm. So you definitely don't want to avoid fats. And beans and legumes are important too. It doesn't have to be all soy. I think that's also not very healthy if yeah. you're having soy or soy byproducts with every single meal. I guess and stuff like that. Yeah. You get real like a lot of saturated fats and stuff like that. I guess ultimately too much of anything is covered. With soy it's more about the GMOs. It's really difficult in this country to find non GMO soy, even if it says it's non GMO. Oh, okay. Uh, because it's just we went overboard with soy when we found out how healthy it was. Oh, right. And uh, how how much they ate it in Japan and all of that. But then we went nuts and we started having soy in everything. And so the crops are just, it's almost impossible to find true non-GMO. And because soy has estrogen in it, it's a little even more iffy with soy than other crops when it gets GMO. That would yeah. explain the tits that started growing on my shoulder. Yes. Yeah, that's a, a weird ton of soy. <laughs> yeah, I have these weird shoulder tits now. Yeah. Uh, but that, yeah, I think that that's, that'll happen with any kind of craze. And like, I'm wondering what's going to happen with the, the, the coconut uh, water craze that's happening. Mm. You know, things are going to get over done. Almond milk is big now. People love the almond milk. People mm-hmm. lo- I like almond milk better than soy milk. I do too. I do too. Yeah, big fan of it. But have it you ever made it? Uh, no, I, I started to, and then I messed it up, and then I realized that like, you needed the, the bag. What's that? like? The that nut milk bag. Nut milk bag. That doesn't sound good. The yeah. nut milk I know. Bag it really gross. doesn't. They should come up with a better name for that than nut milk yes. bag. <laughs> <laughs> That's really a disturbing, that's a disturbing term. I know. Couldn't they call it the almonding sack or the... Um, no, not milk bag. No. Really, just described it. Did they should, yeah. you know, in these types of situations, take whatever the term is and just make it French, and then that immediately just skims off any of the. That just 
Do you I'm, speak French? I'm, no, I'm trying to think what I, I, I know a little bit. Noisette, but noisette, I think, is some other, it's a specific kind of nut. Like lait, a no, lait is milk. I don't know right? what bag or nut I don't know what sac. bag is. Le sac. bag nut. Le noisette. Le sac. Le... But even that has sac in it. Yes. Le sac de noisette. De sac du lait. <laughs> Which sounds like a French swear. <laughs> sac du lait. <laughs> ah, there's too much soy in this. Yes. It's going to take all night. Katie, order some vegan Chinese. <laughs> I, I haven't. Um, I ha- I it's what, to say that I know you is is. I mean, we've we've been acquaintanced several times. We have um, uh, mainly through through Ben, who I adore, um, and uh, and so we've never actually really hung out too long. So this is our chance to actually get to know each other. Yes. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. First of all, um, I fucking love Mr. Holland's Opus, and <laughs> I you. cried on a plane watching that movie. I can't believe that movie came out in 95. That I freaks know. me out. I can't believe it either. I was just in Portland, which is where we filmed it, and people kept asking if I had spent much time in Portland, and the longest I spent was when I was making Mr. Holland's Opus, and I kept having to check myself every time I said 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> 20 years ago. That's nuts. I, I, I know that the ultimate message of the film was supposed to be like a warm... Well, first of all, totally cried when he sang the song to his son. Totally cried on the plane when he sang Beautiful Boy yeah. to his son. That's a, that, was a, that was one of those, like, where your kind of head's down. And you're, <laughs> your fist is, you know, you, you look like you're keeping your head down. Are you embarrassed to cry, Chris? Yeah, I'm embarrassed to cry in a plane, Jonah. <laughs> Not me. And then the, uh, <laughs> my dad would always cry in, like, movies or whatever. And it didn't even have to be, like... A sad movie. It was like he'd cry at King Kong, and, yeah, yeah. and and not even just like, just like a. Ah, yeah. like hey, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> here come the waterworks. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then, but the ultimate message of the movie, which I totally understand, like he had this dream, but ultimately, sometimes dreams happen differently, and he affected way more people than if he had, you know. Whatever made his opus himself, or has gone off with that high school student that he almost nailed, and then, um, but uh, but the ultimate message was that I, I still took away from it, like yeah, but he still didn't get to do his thing. He still didn't get to follow his dream because life kept getting in the way. Did you right. feel that way, or did you like the message? Well, I, I my dad had been a teacher. He's retired now. He's been retired for a long time, but he taught science for thirty five years. And so when I first read that script, that's what I thought of, and. And just how many people in the music business, in the acting business, all all over the world have started out with the dream to be a performer. And then they end up, they're disappointed at first, but then they realize their true calling was to help so many others. Mm-hmm. So I think I did find it a little sad for sure at the end. Like I mean, it's bittersweet. bittersweet. Yeah, it's bittersweet. I, I can still remember at the end of the movie... Richard Dreyfuss as Mr. Holland is tearing up because it's not just realizing how many people he's touched. It's also realizing this is it. This is the end of my life kind of. And I didn't, (laughs) I I didn't do what I set out to do, but it's kind of okay, I guess. But Hey, they're all here in this assembly room (laughs) singing that thing. I kind of finished. (laughs) (laughs) It's not dark. Stop singing. <laughs> he just points at Glenn Headley. You, you did this to me. And he becomes a total misogynist. He's like deadbeat dad. Yeah. Tracks that girl down. 
that he never <laughs> hooked up with. Buys a leather jacket <laughs> and, a and a Harley. That's, that's Mr. Holland's Roadhogs. Afterlife or something. Roadhogs. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's called After Mr. Holland. After Mr. Ho- yeah. After Opus. After Which Opus. Which is a show I would host. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. After one thing, I would host the after part of it. Life uh, After Opus. Life After Opus. Yeah. They, <laughs> Mr. Holland's Revenge. <laughs> he systematically kills every character that kept him in that school. Yeah. You won't hear him coming. He becomes like a Freddy Krueger type. He haunts people in their dreams. I think I really, really... That's one of those movies where I almost, as a joke, want to start out, they're doing a sequel to Mr. Holland's Opus? How could they possibly... Do? You just want to start saying that uh, like out and about? Yeah. Like, they're making, I can't believe they're making a sequel to Mr. Holland's and it's going to start getting... Mr. Holland's around. second movement. Yeah, yeah. That's all. <laughs> that's sort of like the nut milk side. Yeah. That's a, Mr. Holland's second movement. movement. <laughs> it's sponsored by... Milk of magnesium or something. <laughs> but he does. But but ultimately, yeah. Ultimately, he does do. He does do what he thinks is the right thing, which is, you know. I mean, look. I, I guess back in the days, they, you know, like, had there been condoms in his life, then he wouldn't have had a child. He wouldn't have had to stay in school to raise the child. I mean, he does bear some of the responsibility. For what happened when you're listening to Opus Chat, where we <laughs> very deeply break down a movie yeah. that you may or may not have seen in the past 20 years. Uh, uh, next week, a Road to Wellville, a complete sure. breakdown. Uh, why their choices were wrong. I don't know why. I'm so yeah. sorry I focused on that movie so much. But I guess that's ultimately the mark of a great film is that to this day, I'll still be in bed at night and I'll be like... No, but you didn't. You know, I'll still think about it after <laughs> really all these years. That's, that's a really big deal. I um, and that does mean a lot. Um, I had I had such a good time on that movie. I actually I learned how to play the clarinet for I, I took lessons for like four weeks before I started shooting it. And they had a prop clarinet for me on the set, but because I was already really comfortable using the one I had learned on, we ended up using that one in the film itself. And when I went to work on this TNT show in Portland last week, the same props master from Mr. Holland's Opus was there. And he said, you know, I have your clarinet somewhere. I was like, no, you don't. I have my clarinet. I, I took it home with me. What's the one I've been They, they gave it years? to me. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Why would you say that? Because he well he has the he has the one that was intended for me oh, to use in the movie. Oh, but since you used the practice, but one. since I used the play? practice one, no, no, of course not. Just the piano, but oh, just the piano. Yeah. <laughs> Still, a, not an easy instrument to play. No. I've always tried to tackle the piano, and I get only so far with it, and then I go, ah, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> I have one in my house, too, and I just say, I, I pull it, I'm like, this is the time I'm going to teach my hands to do different things at different times, and then I just mess it up, and I close it, and then I go there back. Go. There we go. Yep, that's it. Six months later. Do you play regularly? I play the piano all the time. I'm a singer-songwriter as well. That I knew. So I play all the time, and when I don't have a piano in front of me, I'm recording voice notes, writing lyrics, all that stuff. I got back from my trip last night, and the first thing I did after I hugged my dogs was go to the piano for a few hours and just work out some things I'd been imagining for the last few weeks. Did you write a song called Hugging on the Dogs? I didn't. Because that would be really cool if you, <laughs> you hugged the dogs and then went and wrote a song called Hugging on the Dogs. What that would, would have been something. Okay. I don't know if it would have been cool. So what, what, no, let's, just, let's just talk about this for a second. What yes. would 
hugging on the dogs be? Would it be sort of like a Mark Cohn kind of a hugging on the dogs? I think so. Getting home at night. I know. It seems like it could be kind Try of... Try not to get there. Damn fur in my eyes. It's <laughs> <laughs> done. Yeah. Done. It's a... That's half of the course right there. You love them, but they're a, they're, they're a chore, but it's a, it's a, it's a payoff <laughs> chore. Like, it's worthwhile because they're yeah. dogs. Yeah, this is good. This is a ha- we're almost we're almost there. It reminds me of this. I did. I was part of a songwriting circle for a while, and the circle ended up stopping. But it was fun. It was all these songwriters, some of whom are well known, and others are not so well known. And every week you had to turn in a song. It was orchestrated by Bob Schneider, mm-hmm. and he would turn in a word or a phrase to the songwriting circle every week. And you had to send a song to the group in any form. It could be a voice note. It could be on the back of the tour bus strumming on a guitar. And some people turned in completely produced versions every week and made everyone else feel very inadequate. Sure. If they're in a studio, uh, (laughs) it's easier. Yeah. But if you didn't turn in a song, you were liable to get kicked off the group. Oh, break the circle? Yep. That's of the music scary. coven? The circle of trust. <laughs> <Yeah>. Not Mel Bay. <laughs> Mel Bay. <laughs> See, we've written two songs now. I know. This is becoming very... Um, what are we loop- going to do, do with our songwriting circle? <laughs> I don't know. What's <laughs> oh, next? Uh, do you live in L.A. or do you live back east? I live in L.A. Okay. Yeah, I've actually lived out here more or less since I was 14. I'm originally from Worcester, Massachusetts. All right. And I did a movie when I was seven, which was kind of a weird coincidence thing. I ended up in David Lynch's Dune. Yes. Yes, um, you were in Dune. Yes. Nice. How was, but how was it? Do you remember it? I remember it so well. Yeah. I didn't know at the time that that's not what all movies are like, (laughs) but it was the biggest budget movie of all time in the early eighties. How could it fail? I know. Yeah. (laughs) And yet Patrick Stewart still looks the same. He does. (laughs) Exactly the same. Kyle MacLachlan pretty much looks the same. Too. He does. He kind of does too. Yeah, he really does. Sting still kind of looks. He does. Yeah. Oh my God, the Dune Fountain oh. of Youth. You guys, the spice is nice. I bet it's TM. <laughs> <laughs> it's the spice. <laughs> they took the spice. <laughs> That's fantastic. How long did you work on that? Well, it was an eight and a half month shoot, and I was there for three months. Which for most movies, the entire movie is shot well under three months. But it was all in Mexico City, and I had never set foot on a film set before. I I didn't know anything about acting, except that I enjoyed it. And I instantly knew I wanted to do that forever. I mean, it was so much fun. Just the elaborate costumes and the special effects and the stages were the most spectacular ones I've still ever seen. And all the actors were, it was, it was just an incredible cast of people that had been doing it for their whole lives. And they were so nice and down to earth. And it wasn't the kind of set where my parents would think, oh, that's a terrible thing for our daughter to do for a living. Everyone was just classy and uh, well-rounded. And so I think that was a good thing for me as well, because when I started begging to move to LA when I was 12 my parents weren't as resistant to it. Hmm. They Get felt like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're almost 14 now. In Worcester, you're an adult. Get out. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I know. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. Do you think that was like uh, David Lynch had a hand in that and making like a nice, comfortable set for everybody? Or do you think that was just... Um... I think that he did. Yeah. I worked with him twice after that, and he he made every set feel like that. Yeah. For the actors. Yeah. That's even what it seems like. Yeah. Even when there was stress. I know on that movie... There was a lot of stress regarding the budget and the producers didn't see eye to eye with him on his vision and all that stuff. But the actors were really kept out of that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. That's really nice. That's I saw nice. him once. I, uh, I had a friend. I was walking down the street in Hollywood. And I saw a, a woman like calling my name and I, she looked like, like she was a street worker. Of some sort, and then like, and like, she knew my name. Yeah, she. And it was really confusing, and then I realized it was like uh, this girl that I had seen around, like, uh, and like I used to hang out with mutual friends. And then like, I was like, "What are you doing? Why are you dressed like that?" She's like, "I'm in David Lynch's new movie. We're shooting it right now." And I was like, uh, "I was like, that's fucking oh, crazy." Shit, I was like, about to proposition you. Yeah, and then she's like, uh, "She's like, do you want to meet Dave?" And I was like, "As in David Lynch?" And she's like, "Yeah." And then we, she walks me over, and he's just sitting on a bench, smoking a cigarette, looking sharp. Dude, oh, look, yeah, dude, fucking great. looks great. And like, um, he's like, you know, she's like, oh, this is my friend. Joe. He's like, oh, hello. Nice to meet you. You know, just really <laughs> chilled out. And then some guy's like, Mr. Lynch, you said you wanted this kind of green paint, but they only have this green paint. I could drive across town again. And he's like, don't worry about it. Green's green. Don't worry about it. And the guy's like, I'm so sorry. He's like, relax. It's just movies. <laughs> and then like, and like, I was like, oh, well, you're a cool dude. I'm going to see you later. That's nice. Yeah, it was really nice. It's my favorite. That's my David Lynch story. I don't have one. My David Lynch story was listening to your David Lynch story. Yes. <laughs> you should get his coffee. I will. Yeah, he sells coffee. By, just yeah. by himself? Yeah, David Lynch coffee. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's so special about his coffee? I don't know. He roasted himself, I think. I like to think that he's in a super snazzy suit, picking the beans, yeah, throwing them in there. Like that he's just one of those guys yeah. that does everything every step of the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He just he roasts beans and does transcendental meditation. A true yeah. Renaissance man. Yes. I mean, you have such an amazing career because you've done a million things. And Justified, which is fucking phenomenal. Thank you. And um, if I could swear to emphasize how much I think it's a great show. Please do. Um, and uh, and T- Timothy Oliphant is really funny. He, he was on our podcast a while ago and we, mm-hmm. didn't know, we didn't know him before, so we didn't know what to make of him. And he just kind of looks like a guy like, I think he hates my guts. But, yeah. but then he's instantly charming and funny. And then you kind of realize like, oh no, he's just very comfortable with himself. Yeah. And very confident, but not in a dickhead way. Like, he's just seems like a regular... I like him so much. I think he's, he's really smart as well. He, it's sometimes when you have actors on the set who, are, who have a lot of ideas, sometimes it's, you get the sense it's all because they want themselves to seem better. Mm-hmm. And... I, as a rule, I mean, most actors would agree, you don't like getting direction from other actors. That's kind of a no-no. <laughs> Not on the set. But with Tim, I would actually ask for his direction because he's so good at it. And he's, it's a big thing to say, but I honestly think he's always right when he thinks something isn't working. Um, I remember that finale scene that I had with with rap. Um, we we were doing the big part of it that he wasn't in. He comes in at the very end of it, right before I shoot Rappaport's nuts off. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and I had a question I I wanted, I could tell that Tim had a thought and I, I asked him for his feedback on it and he was, he was very right. Um, I loved working with him. Sometimes I'd get to the set and we'd be about to do a scene and 
he would just run down the scene and he would just identify what part of it needed to be tightened up or changed or what lines weren't quite working. Yeah. And, and he's just so good. He's so, so present. But your life is a tapestry of creative energy. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, between acting and, and and it's kind of, you know, sometimes you meet someone, you go, and they go, well, I mean, I'm an actor, I'm a singer-songwriter. You're like, oh, okay, okay. But you actually do do those. I mean, like, you legitimately do all of those things. Do you, do you, are, you, yeah. are you artsy at all? Do you draw or paint or anything as well? No, no. I don't do that. I don't do that. <laughs> I write, though. I write. I, I, I've written a screenplay, and I wrote and directed a short film a few years back. Do you want to do more? So, yeah, I do. I definitely want to do some more directing. And I am trying to get my screenplay set up, but that's, that's something I want to do a lot more of writing. And, and so do you notice since you have these three parallel different, but related, um, creative processes, mm-hmm. you know, acting and, and singing, songwriting, uh, and then in, in writing, um, do, do you, is your process the same for each one of those things? Or do you see consistencies in how you tackle a story versus how you tackle a song? Or is it, are they so different to you that they each kind of have their own proprietary setup? The thing that's the least similar from all of those is the acting because I'm playing a character. Right. So, and also because I've been doing that consistently for so much longer than the others that, it feels very, very safe to me. I don't really get nervous if I'm on a set. And I, I feel like you can reveal so much about yourself, but under the safety net of, oh, it's not really me, it's this character. Sure. So no matter what accent you're doing or how you're dressed or what the character's physical mannerisms are, it's still your soul in there. So if you're experiencing any sort of emotion as the character, it's incredibly cathartic but also safe because it's not really you sure but when you're up on stage like i'm about to do a residency at hotel cafe nice oh nice um the month of august on sunday nights and um we'll go to that please come every show is going to be different too i'm not gonna it's not gonna be the same songs every night um but you know that scares me a little bit it thrills me and i'm i can't wait because i've played there a number of times and i love it yeah but that is much more vulnerable since it's my songs and my voice and it's up to me to deliver the goods in that moment. And I can't say, well, I didn't write it or I didn't direct it. Sure. I always do love that part of it though. I actually don't like playing characters because I like having the responsibility, Mm -hmm. even, even when it doesn't work. I I, I just like knowing I, I don't like fucking something up. And then being able to blame someone else because I feel like, oh, I don't know if I would have done it that way if it was mine. And I feel like I could, you know, like I just, I like, I really like that part of it. I learned as well, you know, with stand-up. But um, stand-up is something I don't think I could ever do. I have so much respect for you for doing that. No, I I, I don't. But see, I say the same thing about. He's not a freedom fighter. You don't have to have that much respect. (laughs) I'm just saying that my jokes save lives. And maybe that's an overstatement of what I do, but. A lot of people are alive today because of my jokes. And I, I feel fine admitting that to people. <laughs> you're so brave. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's what the, you're so brave. Is, I don't know. If, is there a parallel phrase for when people come see your shows? I don't, it might be different than musicians. 
When a comic, uh, there's an inside joke with comics that if you have a show that's not that great and you have friends who come to see you, (laughs) when you get off stage, they feel like they have to say something. And so instead of saying that was really funny, they go, I could never do. I could never do. So brave. There's a few of them. There's that one. There's, uh, I thought it was funny. (laughs) I don't know what was wrong with these people. Yeah, yeah. They didn't seem to really. So there probably wasn't. There probably, is there a parallel? There probably isn't a parallel. I'm trying to think really fast. I'm sure there Mm. is. Have you ever had a show that you felt like you bombed as a musician? Or do you, do you feel like you always have been able to kind of save it? I have had shows. I mean, when I first started, I, I remember well, my very first show, I opened for Jimmy Webb, mm-hmm. the legendary Jimmy Webb, who's one of the finest songwriters, I think, ever. And that was a great show. And I, I only played three or four songs with my band. It was in New York. And that was like a dream. I, and people were telling me afterwards that, that I was good. And I had no idea if they were going to like it or if I was any good at all. And then about a month later, I worked up my nerve to play my first full-length show at the Bitter End in New York, and I invited everyone I knew. Mm-hmm. And a few songs into it, I realized I was really green. I, and I still there's still a few people in my life who were at that show who haven't been to all my, <laughs> my other shows. And I've actually said to them a few times, you know, I'm a lot better than I was. Yeah. <laughs> this oh, no, was seven here. years ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was nervous. I remember I, I got out of breath a few times and I couldn't quite hit the notes. And I, I didn't mess up, like forget the words or forget the notes or anything. But it just, I was... I wanted to stop and say, okay, you know what, you guys, I love you for being here, but I'm going to be so good at this in about a year. <laughs> I've wanted to do this my whole life and I'm just not ready yet. Yeah. A good thing, <laughs> something you, you uh, I, when I was in bands, if we had a shitty set, it would be, um, it's a, it looks like you guys were having fun up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys just, you know, make much noise. I think then. you're right about that. Do it for yeah. you, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't care. Don't give a shit what anyone mm-hmm. thinks. Yeah. You just do it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, that it's nice to be able to, you don't realize at the time what kind of gifts those moments are because there is a there's a curve you can play the shit out of something by yourself but there is a curve when you get in front of I was in, I did a I did a musical comedy thing for a little while and there's it, to me I always felt like no matter how much I could nail it at home when you get in front of people and you're on a stage and everything it's like oh now there's this learning curve too yeah, yeah. to get to know the song yeah yeah, there was a, there was a, you know, when, um, when the Strokes, uh, broke big, um, they, they weren't like a touring band. They didn't like, they didn't go on the road all the time. They just worked on their songs like every day in a studio and then made a demo and then played a couple shows around New York and then they got signed and became a huge band. But if like you saw any of those early big Stroke shows where they were like this headlining act and you know, this is it was a huge album. It's like, they were a really bad live band because they didn't, they're <laughs> like, they didn't know how to do big shows or had it like you know there was all because they didn't have they didn't build up to that point they just went from like playing like you know a bar to being like a huge band and there is like a, even a learning curve with the size of venues and how you have to be able to bring it now they're better at it but it's been 10 years you know it's it's, yeah. it's interesting that it's like a, it's like you know you can be like oh playing guitar feels different did you did you see um did you ever see the the, the special with jay-z and charlie rose no it's fucking great it's so good they did it in um I feel like they did it in D.C. somewhere, like live. I can't remember where. They, was it Kennedy Center? I don't know. It was somewhere. And um, <clears throat> Jay-Z was talking about how 
the, the, the like this this association with hip hop and like rappers like grabbing their dicks on stage, just like always just kind of tugging and <laughs> and he basically his theory on it was that a lot of these guys learn like learn how to rhyme. They just sort of learned you know like in, in very intimate settings, and then all of a sudden they perform in front of all like just ten thousand people, and they get really self conscious, and they just they just kind of start trying to protect it, like, <laughs> like, like this sort of like weird biology survival thing. They just start like, yeah. trying to protect themselves, but yeah. just kind of you know. That's and that was that's right, their, yeah. that's their body language. That hmm. makes sense, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. If I had a pair of balls, I could imagine I would, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd probably be doing that. They're a blast. It's uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like making almond milk. <laughs> oh, not, you just brought nut milk back. Mm-hmm. Oh, listen. All I'm saying is, if you want to, if you want to make hugging on your dogs a nut milk bag for the hotel cafe residency, I'm saying that's okay. I could actually take a couple of my used nut milk bags, stick them under my... <laughs> if I wore jeans that night, I could just stick them in the jeans. And then yeah. when, I, when I stand up to do a song away from the piano, I'll just tug on my nut milk bags. Yeah. People will think they've just discovered uh, an anatomical dog, fact about me they didn't know. Tugging, about. Hugging on your dogs, tugging on your bags. <laughs> you just make it like a, like a jaunty... Tugging on your dogs. Like 1930s. <laughs> What's your favorite era of music? What do you, what do you like to listen to? Oh, it's really all over the place. But what I grew up listening to was the big band era, mm-hmm. all the classics like the Nat King Cole and Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra. Yep. I loved that music so much when I was growing up that I didn't really listen to what was on the radio. So I have this weird musical gap that people our age, the songs that we would have grown up listening to, I don't really know those songs. I mean, I, I know them a little bit, but if I hear those artists, I don't necessarily know who they are. That's cool. You um, you might have missed the Jay Giles band. Then. I did. <laughs> missed it. <laughs> there's it. just a there's just a there's a Jay Giles shaped gap in your in your music memory. <laughs> but if you play any like the beginning of any Nat King Cole song or most of those big band songs, I can sing all the words still because it's like I grew up in that era. That's how much I listened to it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I did my my. I spent a lot of time with my grandfather. Um, we visited my grandfather a lot when I was younger, and he loved all that stuff. And 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 Johnny Mathis, and yeah, you know, just the just that real like buttery kind yeah. of like those vocals, you know. Mm. But it's still. Um, do you listen to stuff on vinyl, or do you do you like? Do you like compressed CD stuff, or do you, are you an audiophile in that way, or does it not matter to you? I'm not. I I need to increase my vinyl collection. I have only about 20 records right now. I have like two, and Jonah gave me both of them. <laughs> 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 and they're like musical comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even. It's like Tom Lehrer, and yeah. And, uh, I see stuff. It's I, you know, I, I go record shopping so much that like it's starting to. It's starting to be like if I don't find stuff for myself, I kind of go, "Oh, my friend wants this record. Oh, That's this funny. guy is always looking for weird, you know, Smashing Pumpkin singles." Like, yeah, there's always that kind of fun thing with record shopping that you can do. That's all. Keep an that eye out for you. That is fun. Yeah. I enjoy that. Yeah. It's like so going so going back a little bit, do, what what is your what is your approach to songwriting versus script writing, and what do, what do you how do you see them? You know, when you sit down, do you have to get hit with an idea, or do you sit down and force yourself to just crank something out? I do it both ways. With the songwriting, ideas come to me all the time. And sometimes it's just a line um, or a phrase or a verse that will come to me. And I'll just write that down. Other times, the melody all comes together. And I kind of know what that should be. Um, Rarely, the melody comes without words. But it's usually not that way. 
And then I also enjoy sitting down with other writers for a session. And when you do that, you're literally just sitting there and you've got two or three hours and you're, you're making a song happen during that time. So that's a great discipline. It's the best way to do it, I think, because yeah. you can't second guess anything. You're just like, well, this is the time we have and we have to do it. So it's mm-hmm. going to be whatever it's going to be. Yeah. yeah. And you have someone else or uh, sometimes several people to bounce it off of. So if one thing that I do sometimes is I'll come up with a couple of different lines at once. And I, sometimes it takes me a while to figure out which line I like better, but if there's somebody else there and they have a gut reaction to one or the other, I'll just ax the other and go with the one that they like. And then we, we move on and it's, it's a really fun way to work. When I write by myself, it doesn't tend to be all that fast or that immediate, but sometimes it is. Um, sometimes it all just kind of pours out. And, and then a song that I wrote recently was off of some lyrics that I'd forgotten about and found again. And they hadn't presented a song to me at the time. And this time when I read them, a whole idea came along with it. It's good to save that shit because sometimes, sometimes your brain just isn't ready for an idea and it just, you just, your life just kind of needs to percolate around it for a mm-hmm. while, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it just activates, and you, and it's almost and and sometimes in those moments <clears throat> you almost feel like you're psychic with yourself, like oh my, I'm sending a message to myself from the past, and I didn't know why <laughs> this was important back then, but now it's it just all yeah. fits into place. Well, what some people say it's like you know, your brain's always working on stuff. It's like this thing you're thinking about at the time doesn't necessarily mean necessarily mean there's another part of your brain still working on that thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you go, oh, that's the name of that person. Or like, you know, when you think of it, because another part of your brain has been working on it and it just, you know, it finally figured it out and then it moved it up to the front. What do you do when you hit the, uh, the writing wall where you just can't, where you're like, I have nothing else, brain. Sometimes I force myself to finish and other times I just give it a, a break for the night. Um, You've you've probably heard it said sometimes, and I think it's true that um, sometimes you hit that wall right before you're about to stumble into something you would never have stumbled into if you got up and walked away. So I just try to go with my instinct in those moments and try and figure out, okay, am I just exhausted and do I need to go to bed right now or do I need to keep going because otherwise I'm going to regret it? So I hopefully I... I make the right call most of the time. Do you write when you're emotional or do you like to be sort of calm? Like if you get really sad, you're like, I got to write or do you, can you not do that? I can do that. I can do that. I actually find it. It's a great thing to be able to do. And it stops you sometimes from, uh, from avoiding whatever it is you're feeling. It doesn't always mean it's going to be a good song. <laughs> you know, it sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just good to write so often that you don't have to sit down and force it. You can just almost freeform lyrics and they'll come out and it's surprising how often they rhyme or they they go together in some sort of a poetic form even when you're not thinking about it if you do it often enough. Yeah. That was my thing. That's why it took me relatively so long in my life to start making music of my own on a regular basis because I started doing it when I was a teenager and I just didn't really like what I would write and I would get discouraged and write a few songs and they would be great labors and 
I just feel like, ah, that's not quite what I intended to say. It's not good enough. (laughs) And, and then it was actually after a breakup, I had been in a five and a half year relationship. And the day that he moved out, I wrote mostly all the lyrics to my song blind which I didn't have a melody for yet. I just wrote these lyrics. And then I ended up moving to New York for work later that year and met a guitar player who ended up writing the music for it. Oh, that's really and, cool. Um, and it's still one of my favorite songs. It's, it's, and it's just from that moment on, really, that night, I was writing on a continual basis. Um, many songs that I'll never play live or record, <laughs> but they're... <laughs> You just keep doing it, and then you, you had to get the consistency get the gets better. Well, that guy really got in your way, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be fun one night if you were willing to do it. I don't know if you'd be willing to, to, to do this for a whole night, but may, maybe I'm just going to make suggestions, and you can tell me that they're dumb. Okay. If you don't like them, and it's none of my business. <laughs> I think it'd be kind of fun if... Uh, if one song during your residency each night was like a song you wrote when you were a teenager. And if everyone knew that, Ooh. if everyone knew that, you could sort of like have fun with it. Like even if you think it's terrible, you know, like you could do like, a, you know, here, because what's great about that is that it comes automatically with a story. I wrote the song when I was 15 because this happened and it becomes oh, wow. like teenage storytellers. And then you can either choose to update the song and make it good or just le- like just like leave it in its raw form and kind of laugh along with it as you're doing it. Just as a suggestion, if you have those songs, it could be kind of fun. It's a really cool idea. Actually, it's a really cool idea. And then maybe you'll discover something, <laughs> you know, in the in the process or something new or, you know, like or it'll trigger something, but it could be because it, because essentially mm-hmm. it's a it's basically a a time machine. It's just like a musical diary of, you know, that could be a whole set of, you know, like one story that you get to tell each week in the set. Something just as a suggestion that could be fun. That's a really good idea. I'm so glad you <laughs> And I've already thought, as you've been talking, I've thought of three songs that I've never played live that are, are half decent, you know? That yeah, because you get the pass. Especially in that context. You get the pass with people if they know that's what it is. Like, I did this when I was young, and here's... So yeah. you don't, you know... Yeah. You don't it, whatever you think might be cringy, they're going to think is super charming because you were a kid. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. I like it. Yes, I really like it a lot. I'm thrilled to hear this. How much percentage are you looking for this idea? Just like twenty five. Yeah, okay, so okay. Well, to, to, but I think yeah. just like half the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Half the door. Okay. <laughs> the bar, right? That and, sounds and the bar. Half the door. Fair. The bar. I'll take ten percent of the bar. Okay, that's that's very noble of you. Oh, You're no, so brave. That's how, listen, I want to. You know, that's what how hotel cafe survives. We want to make sure they survive, but they don't mm-hmm. do that. Um, I, I love that venue. That's a really that's a really cool venue. Yeah, I love it too. Uh, have you played there recently? No, I haven't played there recently. Um, the last year or so, I've played at the Viper Room in mm-hmm. L.A. Last year, I think I did two shows there. And this year, I've been kind of all over the place, so it's been harder to book. But um, I can't say yet what it is. I wish I could, but I'm, I'm going to be doing something in L.A., which any day now they should announce, but I, I'm not allowed to say it. We know it's the Hollywood Bowl. It's all right. (laughs) Star Wars episode. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm doing something that's going to keep me in LA for July and August, Hmm. which is nice to know in advance because that allows me to do a residency like that. 
you're very good at disguising because you did not none of your words let on if it was a movie thing or a TV thing or a stage thing or another live <laughs> performance there's no, I have no yeah. reference points you you've cool. managed to you've managed to disguise it but it is if it's some kind of regular oh man who knows what that could be <laughs> which is two months so it's two months so it's got to be a movie could be a movie but two months could also be like a, a short run on a on a series ooh an arc Oh, I would have to see your contract to see if you were exclusive in uh, your other shows. To yeah. God, I don't know. All right, I'm piecing this together because we're. But it's not anything musical because you're getting the opportunity to do a musical thing. So therefore, but a musical thing Sunday nights. So if she were doing like a stage thing that just had a short run, she could do it the other days and then do a matinee on Sunday and then go to the hotel cafe Sunday night. I got it. What is it? You got a job at the ArcLight. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Alicia Witt. Turn will, off your cell phones. I will say that Chris was very, uh, very warm. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. All right. So this is exciting news. This is very exciting news. Is there anything creatively that you still feel like, is there a box that you still, I mean, obviously within each of those lanes, I'm sure there are types of movies you want, types of songs you want to do, types of scripts you want to explore, but is there a separate creative box that you feel like you still haven't checked yet that you someday like, oh, I want to learn banjo or something? I want to learn guitar. I have a guitar at home. I, I just, whenever I try to make myself sit down and work on it, I'll end up getting an idea for a song and then I end up going to the piano and writing it. I need to just focus. I think I need a teacher. I need somebody to give me a lesson every week yep. that I can practice because I've tried to do it kind of self-taught i've downloaded apps and that sort of thing and you really need a person there like a person just going no this is this it, and i guess like piano it's probably so much about the scales and music theory and once you kind of understand that i, I you know i'm guessing well also because i already know the music theory and i can feel my way around until i get the right note on the guitar it's really just about buckling down and learning how to play it and yeah. i think if i had a teacher to impress every week with what I had learned, that would give me the incentive to practice. But if it's just an app yeah. or just whenever I find time for it, that's not really working. Do you need structure in your life to guide you or are you pretty good at forcing yourself to do things? I'm pretty good at, at forcing myself to do things, but the thing about, I guess if, if I only had the one instrument I, it, it's something about when I sit down to practice the guitar, I end up going to the piano instead because I want to make something <laughs> that makes sense. Right. Or what I end up doing is I just, I'll have so much fun strumming the guitar and playing these weird chords that I don't know what they are, but I love them. I just want to make something. It's It's been so long since i had to practice scales and yeah the learning part to gets, totally gets in the way especially <laughs> if you're like i could just do this over there i know yeah. and i wouldn't have to fumble my way through it yeah but guitar is something like you know yeah with a piano you have to be sitting down at it with a guitar you could be watching tv and just sitting on a couch and just kind of you know going through it and getting that that still will help your fingers get into the you know motion and the like the muscle memory of like learning guitar so yeah. there's you know you can there's different two different times you could do it I should do that, or I should just do the egg timer trick that I've read some people do, where you just set the, or set the iPhone for twenty minutes every single day. Just sit there and practice. Do and your then, scales? 
Dun, 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 dun. I, I feel like I, I pick <laughs> yeah. up the guitar. That's all it is, right? I feel like I pick up the guitar every so often, and I can do all the chords and hand, but it's still it's still the theory parts that I know. Like once you unlock the theory, you've essentially opened up the language. Like that, you communicate this, and it's just easy. It's easier because you go, oh, of course. Well, this is this scale, so this would probably be an A, and this would probably be an E, and this would probably be this because that's what this is. Yeah. Exactly. As opposed to having to memorize, like you know, with no structure, just like, oh, okay. So then this one's here, and then I jump up to here. You know, which yeah. is a fucking. You're just counting. You know. Yep. Yeah. I don't like it. Any other instruments you want to learn how to play? Harp. No. Trumpet, trombone. He said that was like the same. Harp. harp. <laughs> it is a nice instrument. Yeah. I always feel bad for harpists though, because that is a that is a what a thing. It's like that's like having a pet elephant. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, where do you put that? Everywhere you go, you, gotta, you have to put that put it in its big case, and I think it has a, a wheelie thing. Yeah, on yeah, it and, it's a real tall thing that you yeah. just kind of. It's like a hand cart. Beautiful instrument though. Yeah. It is beautiful. I always like the viola too. Viola? Mm, viola. Viola sounds like a person. Viola. I like the viola, too. I just like that kind of bassy string yeah. instrument. I love string instruments and cellos. I love when I have cellists play with me. It's such a beautiful sound with the piano. Are you playing with a band at Hotel Cafe? I am playing with a band, but I'm going to be just with a drummer and bass player who alternates between bass and guitar. Oh, cool. Mostly bass, but we'll do a few guitar tunes as well. Oh, that's nice. And are, do you, is it? Do you write with these people, or are they just sort of like they're they're there to just sort of play what you tell them to play? They're um, they they aren't people that I've written with, but they're really awesome. The drummer is somebody that I've played with for years. Whenever he's available, Kamiar, he's great. And um, and then the bass player Kyle is just a genius. He moved out here from. He's from Massachusetts as well, oddly. But he moved out about five years ago, and I'm just grateful that they're both available for the residency. Yeah. Because you never know with these guys. But, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. What do you do when you're on, like, if you're on location and you're on set for months? Mm-hmm. Do you have to, do you find, like, a rehearsal space in town, wherever you are, to play? Or how do you, how do you scratch that? I usually have, if I'm gone for a long period of time, I'll make sure there's a keyboard in my room. Mm-hmm. Casio keyboard? Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah, just something that I can play a little bit. Or sometimes what I've done is I'll, I'll find a restaurant in the neighborhood that has a piano and make friends with them and ask if I can just come in during the day while they're doing business work and oh that's cool play the piano like david helfgott and shine oh yeah oh, yeah that's right i like that movie i haven't seen it in so long <laughs> i haven't either you you, you saw i have it. seen of it but you, not yeah. in a long time when he fucking goes in there and they make fun of him because he's weird and then he busts out flight of the bumblebee <laughs> and everyone shits their pants in the restaurant literally they didn't show up but i know that was the subtext yeah yeah yeah, yeah. What happened with David Helfgott? Did he actually he actually toured right? But he, then after the movie, but then it just sort of I, I, the feeling that I got was like, oh, he was maybe he wasn't it was weird. It, maybe he just wasn't and this at the same level as he was necessarily presented in the oh. movie, or he wasn't wasn't practiced. I, I don't know, but I thought there was like a mini tour that followed that movie, and then it, it didn't really. That sounds familiar to me. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't I never heard that. Hmm. All right. But well, only there was no way, way to, to find out. Yeah, yeah I know. I mean, joke. just with my little experience 
I used to compete as a classical pianist when I was a kid. Oh. So I know a little bit about all that. And, what is that um, competition like? It's so nerve-wracking. That's the most nerve-wracking of all. You have nervous parents, teachers who are just biting their fingernails, putting all their hopes for the entire year's work on you because if you win, it makes it makes them look good. and More business. They're, they're competing with the other teachers. And yeah, it's... I've, I had a really good experience in that way. I had a really loving teacher and my parents were just happy that I was there because I, I really enjoyed it, but it's, it's a lot of stress and you bring your sheet music into the judges and they sit there with the sheet music and they, they watch it to make sure you're hitting every note, right? And, um, I knew by the time I was about 13 or 14, I didn't want to do that competitively. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't where my life was. You would but, go crazy. Maybe like uh, someone like David Helfgott of being yeah. forced to put under that amount of pressure and then compete yeah. in that way. It just also, seems- it's music. Like, don't let music That's, compete. Thank you, know? you. That's exactly what frustrated me about it. Because it yeah. got to the point where it was like I started wanting to express myself and make it my own a little bit. Not by changing notes or anything, but just... If I felt like getting a little louder in this section or slowing down ever so slightly here or there, I would... <laughs> And some of my favorite successful classical pianists do that. Yeah. And I started getting notes from the judges that would say, well, it didn't say crescendo and you got louder there and that sort of thing. So yeah. that's, I didn't like that. Well, now like I'm getting bad. louder but, now. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you. That's right. Yeah. Or you just want to add little like, Did you do talent shows when you were... In high school? With no. I didn't go to high school, though. I was oh, okay. homeschooled. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Homeschool, um, kid. Homeschooled. How did that, uh, how do you think that affect your ability to interface with other humans, not having been inside <laughs> the typical social structure of the high school system? Well, I can say for me, it made me even more eager to move to LA because <laughs> one of the things I loved so much about my first movie experience was that coming from a life where I didn't go to school, I didn't have that social atmosphere. Being on a film set is like the most incredible social experience yeah. you'll ever have. It's mostly hanging out. It really yeah, is. It's mostly just shooting the shit with So people. I thought, this is awesome. I have all these friends instantly. And yeah. I really couldn't wait to have more of that and just be out in the world and exploring all the different relationships you make in this business. I think it's the best part. That's really cool. Now, was you? Did, was your dad, did your dad teach you or did your mom teach you? They both did. My dad went to school to teach during the day That's and my so mom stayed at home. And then yeah. my dad would help system. me. Yeah. And you, st- and you didn't, he didn't. Oh, wow. So there's a lot about yeah. his thoughts on the school system, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. My class it was is fine, unusual. but the rest of these jobs. <laughs> <laughs> You're staying home. Yeah. <laughs> I can, this place, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. See the food they eat? <laughs> I, I personally uh, do you have kids no or if you ever have kids would you homeschool them or would you be would you send them to school I think I would send them to school yeah yeah I guess so because you it'd be very difficult for you to homeschool while you're <laughs> acting in films and writing music and writing screenplays it would be and I think that there are some terrific public schools there's also some really bad ones and it sucks it's so important that it, kids have good education 
Um, but I think if you can afford it, obviously there's great private schools. And if you can't, there's some really good, um, public schools, especially here in Southern California. I don't know if school is that important as long as you can just get on TV and get famous, right? That's really the important <laughs> thing. Just famous. Just famous. Just famous. So do something crazy. I know. Well, there was a um, – I was over at my mom's the other night. I think I was watching some entertainment show and there was a, a reality show with like four sisters and the whole thing was that they had like 12 weeks to get famous. It's the fucking oh, worst. It's a reality Christ. show about getting famous. Oh, that's awful. Which is just, that's like, that's when, that's when the laser just turns on itself. Yeah. That's like that when you see someone going on a talk show, uh, to promote their lives, which is, has been captured in a reality show. But then you also can later in that season, see the episode of when they went on the talk show to promote yeah. their reality show, which is a show about their lives, mm-hmm. which, and then like the snake starts eating itself. <laughs> it's just it's so you know, like I had a meltdown one day when I was, someone was like we had a lot of crazy things happen this last season and I was like you mean the last few months of your life is that what you mean like well, they don't call them they don't call them reality shows and the, now they've they've switched the term to docu series because somehow that supposed to take the that's supposed to make it sound fancier than it yeah. actually is Ugh. is that what it is for Emmy contention now docu series. I don't know for Emmys, but they do. But docuseries is now like in the in 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 the television industry. They they refer to them as you know because they don't want to say uh, money makers. They don't want to say reality show, so they say docuseries. So the docuseries about four uh, young girls who are doing essentially whatever they can to be famous. What are they doing? Ugh. I don't know. Just taking a lot of half nude pictures from what I saw in the um, and nude pictures from what selfies I saw. are key in fame. <laughs> it's so nuts. It's so nuts. The obsession with with the the obsession with fame but it's but everyone's essentially i mean like the internet's completely like everyone's technically famous now so it's i yeah. don't know it's kind yeah. of a strange it's kind of a strange thing does that part ever because people obviously recognize you does that ever get in the way for you or are you like ah, i just like the performing part that part of the part's weird i honestly I love the performing part. I could do without the other part of it. But I also, I've never been that kind of person who's stumbling out of the nightclub at two in the morning. <laughs> like, I've never had any sort of paparazzi chasing me to get some sort of embarrassing moment because there's not much. I'm not very interesting. Well, I think, <laughs> um, I, I think, a, lot, I think a lot with the paparazzi thing is that um, the, a lot of the people... I mean, I know a lot of people don't want it, but I think there are a handful of people who kind of seed it mm-hmm. so they can get in magazines. Absolutely. And then, well, of course there is. It's like, you know, every time like, it's like, don't go to that restaurant. You know, they'll, yes. you know, they'll be there. Don't, well, yes. but, but, don't but, live in that but, side but, of town. But, but a lot of people yeah. have publicists will tip off the paparazzi and go, oh, this mm-hmm. person's going shopping at the, what's that fucking Kitson, you know, Kitson yeah, yeah, it is. Like, but there's yeah. stores and restaurants everywhere. I'm not, mm-hmm. like I, I eat at a fancy place downtown. There's no fucking paparazzi outside of Bottega Louis. No. And if you are, I'll be eating there well, this the, Sunday. The surest no sign, the surest tip off is when you see all these paparazzi waiting outside a place and you're walking down the street and then the car pulls up and whoever it is gets out of the car. Yeah. No I, pictures, I mean, please. But uh, this is uh, my good sign. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think, I think that I, I would only want that recognition part just because it will I know that it facilitates me to do more of what I love exactly and I know that if somebody has seen me in something uh, and they're inclined to check out my music then that's gonna help maybe have them listen to it yeah I can't make them like it but I mean 
it's a good way to open the door. Yes. And it's, it just all helps itself. I don't see any point in saying, well, I want to be, I want to be blessed enough to get to do this crazy thing and make a living at it for the rest of my life. But I also don't want anyone to take my picture or right. sign autographs. You're so lucky to have anybody wanting that if they do. Yeah. It really is. It really does. A certain amount of it does sort of fuel the engine to continue to do, to do more because that's just how, that's just how it works. Yeah. That's just how, unfortunately, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, that's just kind of how it works. Like, you know, you'll, especially if you're, if you're vying for something, uh, I mean, I used to, I used to lose jobs all the time to people who were more known and that didn't mean they were going to do a better job. It just no. meant that the marketing team had a bigger name to, yeah. you know, say to the press, like, so-and-so is doing this. And in, the, in those days, it was usually Joe Rogan or Mario Lopez. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did I ever tell you about the thing? I- Who's laughing now, Lopez? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He seems like a totally nice guy. I don't know why. Did I tell you about the time I was, uh, you know, I was working in the E-building and I was walking by a, a, a meeting. with There was an office. A meeting was going on. The door was open. And it's, it's like... Uh, Someone's like, I know he's a better host, but the other guy has more Twitter followers. That's why he's better for the job. Ugh. That's like the like I, I just heard that chunk Ugh. of conversation. And I was like, oh, cool. This is great. <laughs> Do you, you know people can buy Twitter followers? Now? Yes, yes. Our friend Joe Mandy did it. Uh, really? Like kind of just as an experiment. And he just you just pay a company and then they get you. Yeah. And it's mostly bots and <laughs> fake things. Yeah. But. And if you look at like you have a friend and suddenly they went from having a thousand followers to 72,000 followers and you go down the list of followers, they were all people that have no followers yep. and it's just <clears throat> little egg images. So they're they're and, completely yeah, yeah. useless followers because they don't have yeah. any reach. So it doesn't really like a bot follower is basically just so he can say to a company, "I have seventy two thousand yeah, yeah. followers." And they exactly. go, "Wow, he's really important." Yeah, but he's they, very, he was very vocal. About if they it. dig even an inch deep, you know, they'd be like, "These are worthless." Yeah. <laughs> There's even websites that you can go to where you can check out how many of a person's followers are real. Oh, yeah. really? And yeah. I read that. Um, I think when Mitt Romney was running, they looked into his campaign, Whoa. and he had like a quarter of his. Million followers were actually bots. Jeez, yeah. or, or people who sign on to Twitter once and never go on again, or yeah, yeah, yeah. or you know, or, or whatever. But it's not, you know, that that main number is really not the actual, you know. It should be about the engagement, right? It's engagement, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, it's and like, a lot of companies are picking up on that now too. Engagement. It's not just video views, but how long did people watch the video? Right. You know, yeah. how many people did they spread that to? You know, you would you would really rather have. 10,000 followers who all had 10,000 followers rather than 100,000 followers where everyone had like 10. Exactly. Because yeah. you just, it, it's like that's how it filters through the guys, we're going to be famous in 12 weeks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, you know, it, it, this, this age of, you know, like our artist marketers. Are you, it's, are you social media? Yes. You have to be, media. right? You yeah. have to be to, because if you're doing shows at Hotel Cafe, you have to let. No one does that for you. No. That's when I started up with the social media was when I started playing shows. Yeah. And it's... Easiest way to do it. It's And it's cool, too. I also did a Kickstarter campaign a few years ago for my last album, um, which was released uh, in 2012. And that was really neat because I got to know so many of the people who were actually making my album happen. 
And that's an incredible thing when somebody wants to hear your music so much that they're actually willing to put their hard-earned money towards it ahead of time. Well, yeah. the cool part about that is then it, it totally makes you accountable. Then you yeah. really have to – that's kind of putting a friendly gun to your head and saying like, mm-hmm. well, these people – you know, I can't – now I can't let these people down. Yeah, so absolutely. I, I think even the psychological aspect of something like Kickstarter is really good. It, you know – be interesting if there was something that would, and I'm sure there is because because there's always every idea. But it'd be interesting if there was some type of a Kickstarter that wasn't about money, but it was just all about accountability, where you had to go on and basically pledge to people, and that in a certain amount of time you were going to do something. You know, even just the idea that you had to publicly say to them, "I'm going to do this." Not everyone would do it, but a percentage of people would feel a social responsibility to you know not let everyone down. That's true. Yeah. Hmm. Don't you ever feel you you write better when you have a show or when you have people? Yeah, when you get a deadline, you do mm-hmm. you do more. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's it's a weird it's a weird thing to think about. But what would the accountability be? Well, I think the accountability Shame. is just social pressure. It's just like you are you if you were in this system, you were committing to people that you would do this, and if you don't, then it's basically just like it's a little bit of a failure, you know? Like, and yeah. and no one wants to feel like they let. X amount of people down publicly, you know, and especially yeah. if you, you know, if you had like a rating system where it's like, you know, a hundred percent of the time I fulfilled my obligations or, you know, uh, or you're like a bad eBay seller or like, I got to like, a it should be <laughs> like people get money from you if you don't do what you say you're going to do. So it's like they sign mm. up and then like you didn't do it. And then so all of a sudden like a dollar to each person from your bank account goes into their bank account. Oh, like a reverse Kickstarter. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Hit them where it hurts, Chris. The wallet. Oh, I still feel like people, you know, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why not. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why not, Jonah. Because people would rather part with money than pride. They would rather pay to have something go away. Than, than that sort of loss of pride. If they could go, well, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just you know I'll just pay out a thousand dollars, and then that that totally washes my hands yeah, of this yeah, emotional situation. I think they. I think it's much more. There's much more accountability when you feel like you're you're shamed or you've let people down. Yeah. In some way. Shame mm. billboards. Yeah. Shame starter. Shame starter. Yeah. <laughs> Shame starter. That's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. It I, could, think I think it's gonna work. Wasn't there something? That was. I, I feel like I saw this. I, I, I think that it was set up um, to commemorate nine eleven, and it was something where people would post good deeds that they had done, and then everyone reading it was supposed to do a good deed of their own and post that. Hmm. Oh, that's do you cool. What I, no, I don't sounds remember that. Familiar. Yeah, it's like a um, pay it forward kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. Mm. So, Katie. Did the did the can we get the numbers on if the world became a better place after that? What a, <laughs> how do the numbers fall in line, Katie? Better place? Yes. Oh, oh, the world is a better place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, mathematically, good. the world is technically a better place. Yeah. Wonderful. It's good to know. Nothing. Is that it? That might have been it. That let's sounds say, kind of familiar. Let's say that's what it is. Hmm. Yeah. Are you um, so. are you working on a bunch of new songs now, or are you in I, between? I am. And actually, what Jonah was saying about having something coming up and having that spur you forward, it's definitely knowing that I have shows coming up is inspiring because 
I want to have as many new songs in my arsenal as possible sure. that I can choose from. That's so, right, you're going to be shuffling songs week to yeah, week, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have, I mean, if somebody has a specific request they want to hear one week and I played it the week before, I can, it doesn't, they don't all have to be songs that I've never played before, but um, I think there's like, there's at least five songs at the moment that I want to finish that are all kind of percolating and half written in my head. Mm-hmm. So I know I'll be able to finish those before those shows come up for sure. And, and then I have this, in addition to all the other songs, some of which are released and others aren't, but I've played them live before. There's, there's also a lot of new songs on my new album, which is going to be released later this year. Which is produced by Ben Foltz. Yes, <laughs> I know and, Ben. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't, yes. I wasn't trying to bring up Ben too much, but I, you know, I love him to death. Since he produced it, are you going to do a cover of Common People? No, no. I'm not. Ben, poor, you know, poor Ben. We the um, first time he was ever on the podcast, I feel like we we I it was the first time I go. You know, we could just have him in a music studio, and maybe if he's willing to play a song or two, then you know. And so we got we got the piano that he wanted, and. Uh, we went into the studio and we had a great, a super fun podcast. And then, um, and then he sat down and he was like, you know, what, what should I play? And so we requested a couple of our favorite songs. And I was so terrified that halfway through, because it was just the three of us, three the three hosts yeah. and our girlfriends. Yeah. And I was so terrified that he was just going to st- turn around and go, "Wait a minute! Yeah. You just tricked yeah. me what? into playing yeah. philosophy for you." Yeah. You son of a bitch! But he was very—he was very kind-hearted about it. Yeah, good dude. Um, the on the album there will be a um, there's a duet that we did, which was used on the end credits of a film called Cold Turkey last year. Cool. And so that's going to be on the. Um, I guess it's. I don't know if it's a. It's going to be eight songs in total. I don't. I can't. That's tell. an album. Is that an album yeah. or an EP? That can, that can. That's that's, an album. I would that's say. I would say. I would say eight to twelve is an album. Five. Yeah. Five to six. Five six, five, six is an EP. EP yeah. Okay, yeah. then it's an album. You're an album. You got an album. Woo! Yeah. Um, did uh, oh th- maybe this is a, a dumb question. I just never asked, and I. I, I but from what I remember from the hotel cafe, and I haven't been there for a long time. But there is a sign there that says "Do not play Hallelujah." Is that tied to Jeff Buckley in some way? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I remember that. Is that in the room, not the main stage, but the the sort of private room with the grand piano where they all congregate? Or did they get rid of that room? I can't I remember. remember. I don't know. I, don't know. I just I, years They've ago. They've done a lot of stuff to us since the last time I've been there. I, years ago, I remember b- being there. I did a couple comedy shows there, and there was a sign there that I thought said. Essentially said you cannot play Hallelujah, and I I I couldn't remember if someone told me or if I was like, is that because Jeff Buckley died and he played it here and that was his song here? Like I think he was dead before that place ever opened up. I would think so, right? Yeah, he died yeah. in like '96, right? Yeah, yeah, that place didn't open up until about 2003. Or then I have no idea what the maybe it's just everybody was covering it and they were just kind of sick of. Will you please <laughs> like stairway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no Hallelujah, denied, <laughs> denied. Are you looking up uh, Hotel Cafe Hallelujah? No Hallelujah. What are you getting? Katie Levine. <laughs> I saw a Death Cab there a long time ago. Did you really? Yeah, it was an acoustic uh, set from Death Cab for Cutie. It was, uh, it was real cool. It was like during the day, it was like a, my friend was like, hey, I got this extra pass. It's supposed to be, I'm not sure. It's like, I think it's Death Cab for Cutie. I was like, That's, that wouldn't happen because they had just kind of blown up with the uh, sound of settling. And then like we went in and it was just this like 15 people there watching them play. 
It was really fucking wow. great. Yeah, it was really, Do really Do you prefer cool. playing for like 100 people or like 10,000 people? I am, I mean, the, the thing that's the most comfortable for me is playing for a smaller group. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm trying to work on that because I've, I've played at some bigger shows or festivals and that kind of thing where there's much bigger crowds. And I still have pretty severe butterflies when that happens. So the trick, I think, is to just just imagine you're playing for people in your living room. It doesn't matter how many there are. And by the same token, if there's not that many people, it's it's just as meaningful as if it's packed. Um, I actually I get know. more nervous if the number is small. Do you? If there's yeah. like 30, like, you know, if it's a show, if it's just like a small comedy show and there's like 30 people there... And I, I, I get, I tend to get more nervous at those shows than if there's, if there are thousands of people. And the reason being when there are a shit ton of people, it's almost like you're alone on stage because yeah. they become this like weird mass. Yeah. But with thir- with like 30 people, you're super accountable to every single one. Yeah. Cause you can see their faces. <laughs> you're in a room of individuals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it feels way more stressful to me than yeah. a bunch of people where it's just like, Oh, well this section got that joke and that, you know, like yeah. fuck them. You know, there's too many. How could I please everybody? <laughs> but with 30 people, you're like, Oh my God, the guy oh, in the third t- row. <laughs> like, what was his problem? Yeah. I think as a comedian, that might be even more the case though, because the thing that amazes me about what you do in that arena is just that you're asking people to have a verbal reaction to you. Yeah. You're asking them to laugh. And I save lives physical. with it. Yes. Yeah. That, so there's that too. I, I, I'm asking for a reaction that is also saving lives. That's right. I yeah. forgot about the yeah, 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 yeah. Part. I mean, I'm not, you know, I mean, I think it's, I'm, it's okay to humble brag about saving lives. He's the lives. Gandhi of, of comedy. <laughs> oh, it's God. okay. <laughs> I I think it's a good thing to own up to your importance. You know, in the it's world. just oh, oh wait this this is the live from, from those girls in the Get Famous reality Girl. show docu series. One of them said, "Oh, I'm so glad this so nicely ties together because we're about we're at the end of the show." But it but she said something like, "It would be a shame if I." did not share my God-given talents with the world. It was like one of those kinds of statements, but like totally no irony. Yeah. You know? And it just, you instantly were like, well, you're perfect for a reality show because you seem awful. Yeah. I remember it was at, uh, Ted Nugent had a reality show and he had to like survive a week with Ted Nugent or some weird thing. And there was this one scene where it was like all the people sitting around like, and there was this one dude that like the worst dude in the group. And he's like, you know, it's like, you know, I'm trying to do, uh, you know, I want to be famous. I want to be a famous actress. So I'm doing stand up comedy, you know, start from the ground up. Uh, uh, you know, that's why I got this tattoo. And he takes off his shirt and he has the like across his shoulders, like in huge, the Hollywood sign, not just the word Hollywood mm. or the name Hollywood, like the little mountains and the, uh, you know, the, it's like it just Dennis Woodruff actor across his entire back. He's like, this is always remind me what I'm setting out to do. And That's repulsive. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> and then he started doing. Can you imagine if you were on a date with that do- yeah. that guy and it was all going well, and yeah. you go back to his place and he takes his shirt off. That would be yeah. that would be a total. Bust. And then you go, it's literally a bad sign. That would be, yeah. yeah, that's a bad sign. And then you ask like, why? The why date that would thing? be He's over. Like, oh, I used to have a dream. <laughs> <laughs> now I live in Texas again. Oh man. Oh. Now I wonder. It never occurred to him like, okay, so if I want to be an actor, 
At some point, I might be required to not have a giant Hollywood sign across my back for yeah. a role. No, they're going to ask him to take his shirt off for a love scene, and it's going to cost him a part. <laughs> yeah. Because he's gonna, it's going to say Hollywood on the yeah. back. So I know. <laughs> Ugh, God, the worst. And then he did stand-up for people sitting around a fire, and it was all just real racist. Oh, <laughs> so no. Bad. The guy was the worst. It was great. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So where can people follow you on um, various social media outlets? On Twitter, I am Alicia Witty. Excellent. Um, Alicia Witt was taken by a real Alicia Witt. Oh, not a fake so, one. No. <laughs> so no. Um, so it's Witt with a Y on the end. And then uh, my website is AliciaWittMusic.com. Did that same person take that website too? Well, Alicia Witt was taken. God that might be it. Might be a squatter on that. I don't think it's think so? the Alicia Witt who has the Twitter. There's no way in this gigantic world that someone else might have the name Alicia Witt. Nope, just one other person. Several <laughs> people do, but I seem to remember seeing pictures of me on it. Oh, on right. the AliciaWitt.com one. Now with that information, I take back my snarky comment. <laughs> but but <laughs> the Twitter <laughs> one is a definite. Real person. <laughs> right, so, so Alicia Whitty on Twitter, and uh, um, and then people should come see. Well, obviously Justified. When does Justified come back? Is that is it soon? Justified is well. I'm not sure yet if I'm in the last season, but I was yet. I was all in season five, which yeah. finished airing is now out on Netflix and Amazon and all of that. Various digital outlets. And um, yeah, the the residency at Hotel Cafe starts August 10th and then okay. it will be four Sundays in a row at 9 p.m. Okay. And they're selling tickets online at um, hotelcafe.com. Excellent. <laughs> Alicia Witty. Uh, <laughs> an album, <laughs> album produced by Ben Folds out later this year. Yes, that's right. Do you have a name? I think it might be called About Me. That's the name of one of my songs. I haven't quite decided, but I think I might call it that. So on your website, if people click that, they're going to be like, oh, is this the album or is this the part where she talks? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The about me part. Uh, But as of right now, that one's not out yet. I have other albums and singles that are out. Excellent. And um, they're all out on iTunes and whatever. It's been so lovely chatting with you. So good talking to you, too. At length, finally, for once, as opposed to, hey, good to see you. (laughs) Well, uh, we should all get together soon. We should hang out. I know. know, Now we actually did it in podcast form. I'm very glad that we did. Me it's too. been a lot of fun. It's been a good time. Nut mouth bang. Hair in mouth. the mouth. <laughs> I hope those dogs don't shed in my bed tonight. <laughs> I love them, I but I hate them. in my nut bags. And the milk comes out into my mouth. It tastes so right. No soy tonight. <laughs> the end. Almond Joy. <laughs> oh, that's the tie-in. There it is. There it is. Enjoy a burrito. We did it. Cool. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. 
But now, I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on stage tonight. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.